Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I'm Eki Tepsapornchai. Well, brother, uh, it's good to see you again. And uh, this week, we're going to continue on in the book of Jude. So l- last week, we started in Jude, and I, I really uh, thought we were going to make our way through the whole book. You know, it's only <laughs> 25 verses. But um, apparently, both of us in- enjoy talking about these things. And so uh, no yeah, one should when, be when surprised. expository when you get two expository preachers together, um, there's no guarantees that you'll be able to reach any number of verses. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so let's just do a little bit of recap for everyone in case you're listening to this. And, you know, uh, <clears throat> a lot's gone on in a week, right? So if people listen to the podcast when it comes out on, on Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, it's been a while. So we're going through the book of Jude and predominantly just to say that the book, the book of Jude is uh, not only relevant for today, we realize that, but I think um, it, it's, it's almost forgotten in this day and age, right? In a world and in a society, especially in the Western church, where, you know, the idea of being nice is, uh, takes precedence over, you know, calling out falsehoods and uh, calling out false teachers and so it is really important, right? And I think it's important for other reasons too. I, a lot of folks, I don't, I, I wonder sometimes if they understand how much emphasis the Bible really puts on um, being able to identify what's false versus what's true. Yeah, I think in our culture today, so many people are very sensitive about labeling certain teachers as false teachers or even saying anything negative at all um, for the sake of unity. So we, uh, we certainly want to emphasize unity, but we emphasize unity within the body of Christ based upon the truths of Scripture, recognizing that there are many warnings throughout the Bible um, about uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, false teachers, false prophets, and we have to heed those. Uh, if we just focus on unity, we're actually ignoring a good chunk of what the Bible actually warns us about. And really, as you get through the New Testament, it seems like as you get closer and closer to the end, the more and more intense those warnings become from Peter, from Paul, from Jude, uh, in the book of Revelation and all that. So, we, we don't want to ignore that. That and, and we want to recognize that the spiritual war is actually really being waged within the church uh, on a basis of who understands the truth and who doesn't. And I know you and I, we both love the book of Ephesians and Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 talks about how pastors and, and teachers were given to the church for the building up, for the equipping of the saints, um, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. But it goes on to say that as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by every way of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. And we know that it's Satan that who does a lot of that scheming. So the the spiritual walk is not divorced from the spiritual war, and the spiritual war is not divorced from all these exhortations and, and warnings about how wolves will be coming in sheep's clothing and how there'll be false prophets and false teachers amongst us. And we have to recognize them and be able to call them out. Yeah, exactly. And l- I want to go back to uh, the beginning of Jude and just requote uh, three and four for us. But and and I think it's important because as we hear how the the Holy Spirit through these men speak about false teachers, I think it ought to train us to understand the way we should be speaking about false teachers, right? So in verse three. Um, of course, Jude's just opening with his opening statements. He says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Now, listen to how he speaks about false teachers. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who are long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's strong language, right? And I I think, as you mentioned earlier, and as we've talked about, everyone wants unity, but then we should ask the question, do we want to unify ourselves with false teachers? You know, if someone's a legitimate false teacher, 
Is that the kind of person that we want to unify ourselves with? Now, of course, we understand that you cannot unify yourself with that, right? I mean, what does light have to do with darkness? What does truth have to do with untruth? We can't unify, and the church doesn't unify with those people. But we certainly live in a society that says it's better to say nothing, you know, let let you do you, right? If you, if you don't agree, but heaven forbid I call you out on that. But this is the duty of the church, and specifically, it's the role of the pastor. And the reason it's the role of the pastor is because, well, I mean, there's a reason that we, the, the Bible uses the imagery of shepherds and flocks of sheep and wolves, right? Imagine if a real shepherd, a, a physical shepherd with actual sheep, right, in the secular world, were to watch wolves come in to the sheep pasture and be afraid to fight off the wolf because it just wasn't a nice thing to have to hurt another animal. I, right. I mean, can you, what kind of shepherd would that be? So he just steps aside and he watches these wolves shred his sheep to pieces, you know, because he doesn't want to shoot this wolf. Well, it, you know, everyone that has any sense w- would say that's a poor shepherd, right? I mean, he's not tending to his flock. And the Bible uses this very same in- imagery. And so it's not that we enjoy having to do it. It's not that we are looking to have to do those things, but it's that we must do them because we love the body of Christ. And if we love the body of Christ, then, then, then we protect them. And by the way, it's not only the role of the pastor, right? Jude's letter is to the body at large. And so if we love one another, right, we want to protect each other from false teachers. And so I think as we kind of continue on today, one thing to say would be, look, we we both realize that there are a lot of people out there who may be following false teachers who don't realize that they're false teachers, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, And this is exactly why Jesus Christ, when he was tempted by Satan, said, man shall not live on bread alone. But every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then he goes on in John chapter six to talk about how he is the bread of life and that he who eats of me and drinks my blood. And when he says that, he's talking about those who put their faith into him, but also learn from him and, and, uh, and those who are his disciples. Um, he goes on to tell Peter after Peter denied him three times and then asked Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter affirms it each time, and Jesus would then respond back with, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my, my sheep. And so, the feeding of the flock means feeding them with God's word. And the imagery that you point out is very relevant. Uh, the, the wolves tearing apart the sheep. Um, in other places, Satan is disguised as an angel of light. And we, the, the undiscerning shepherd or the unprepared shepherd or the unqualified shepherd will not be in a position to be able to discern those things because they, they may see what the wolf is doing and not recognize that it's a wolf doing wolf things. And the effect of the wolf's work is basically the body of Christ um, saying things like Jesus Christ is not the only way to heaven or, or thinking that the word of God is only secondary, you know, or, or thinking that it's okay to be a red letter Christian or thinking that it's okay okay to, you know, uh, highlight certain areas of scripture above others or to unhitch from the Old Testament, all kinds of destructive ideas that once Satan gets into your head and gets you to stop focusing on the actual source of your feeding, well, then he's won uh, because he, you're no longer following um, in the paths of righteousness. You are being being deceived by Satan and his craftiness and deceitful scheming. And knowing that Satan knows the scriptures better than any of us, okay, there, there's, there isn't a single person aside from Jesus Christ. Uh, no man um, had ever knew the scriptures better than Satan did. So, Satan can use that easily to manipulate us, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can devote ourselves to the scriptures, and the scriptures give us that divine power to be able to discern um, and to recognize when something is God's word and when it is not. Yeah, and a good illustration, and and I I bring this up because I realize that there may be some people listening that are that listen to some false teachers and they just don't realize it yet. And what we would say is we're we don't want to condemn those people, but we do want to say, look, um, you, once they've been exposed as false teachers, you know, d- d- set the emotions aside for a moment and look at that objectively, and if it's true, then get away from that. Right, because certainly no one 
at least I would hope, no one would willingly say, yes, I want to follow a false teacher, right? But let me give you a good example. I mean, even Peter, right, was able to be deceived. I I mean, at one stage, Jesus turns and he says to Peter, to his face, get behind me, Satan. I mean, just imagine the Lord Jesus standing in front of you, talking to you physically in person and saying to you, get behind me, Satan. I, I mean, that must have been a bit shocking. You know, Peter was a man after all, right? And his Lord's just said that to him. And, and my point of bringing that out is, look, that we ought not to be embarrassed if we're young in the faith um, or if we've been deceived because we're still growing in the faith and we discover that we've been following a false teacher. Even Peter himself was deceived. And he's been walking with the Lord physically all this time, chosen as one of the original apostles. And so I think what we want to focus on is what you do after you discover that information, right? And so we, we can choose one or, or, or two major paths, I think. We can either try to justify the false teacher that we've been following because maybe we're embarrassed or whatever the case it was, or maybe they said something that, you know, had an emotional impact on our lives, whatever, whatever it is. I, I mean, truth be told, almost all false teachers say some true things here and there, right? right? I mean, that's part of what makes them so dangerous oftentimes. So we can have that response or we can respond in humility, demonstrate that we love God's truth more than following a man. Um, and we can, you know, be thankful that it's been revealed and we can get away from those things. And so, I, and, and this is the reason that Jude has written this letter. I mean, this is a letter he begins saying, look, we need to contend earnestly for the faith. And then he goes on, and we talked about this in the last episode. Basically, what he's doing is saying, look, these are all, these are all the signs. This is how deadly false te- teachers are. They're like hidden reefs. Right, hidden reefs that destroy ships, um, and and we went through all that language. And he gives, I mean, the whole first section of the the book is basically trying to get the body of Christ to one see how dangerous false teachers are, and two how to recognize false teachers. And so, very very relevant. And of course, we know as time goes on. I mean, you know, people are going to want to gather false teachers to themselves. We know that there are those group of people. We know that they're secretly going to come into the church, that they're going to spread false doctrine, false teaching. We know that the tares grow with the wheat, right? Um, And and in every church, this is going to be true locally and certainly, um, you know, the capital C church, that's true uh, as long as we're here on this earth, right? So, we, yeah, go ahead. Do you have anything to add to that? Uh, You know, I I was just thinking of Revelation, these seven letters to the seven churches. I mean, you see even in the final book of the New Testament that Jesus Christ is commending churches who spot false teachers. Um, So, that that is an ongoing activity that has to happen in the church. Now, in at least one of those cases, uh, one of them had also lost their their first love in Christ. I believe that was the church at Ephesus. Um, But... Uh, it still does not change the fact that uh, we are on to be we're we're to be on the lookout, and that's the whole idea of being a noble Berean. In Acts chapter seventeen, verses uh, ten and eleven, those Bereans were called noble because they did not simply just take Paul at his word, but they held him to the highest standard, which was God's word. So they eagerly eagerly uh, received what Paul delivered to them, but they also eagerly examined the scriptures daily to make sure what he was saying was was actually true. Yeah, at the end of the day, you know, the, the people in my church, they aren't following me. They're following Christ. Now, I hope they follow me as I follow Christ. Right. Right. And, and it meaning if heaven forbid something were to happen and I stop following Christ and start teaching heretical things, the right response would be after someone makes sure that I know what I'm doing w- would be the next Sunday, nobody should show up. Right. I mean, heaven forbid yeah. that ever happened. Because their faith isn't in me, they're, I, I mean, I'm shepherding this flock, but they're not following me, they're following Christ. And so, when we discover these things, that's got to be the response. We cut that off instantly and look for a healthy church, if that's the case, 
um, or healthy material, whatever the case may be, and we move on because we love Christ and we love his truth. So we get through all of this, Jude, and where we ended last week was really verse 17. So Jude's gone through all of this information, all of this, um, all of this warning. He gives examples from the past of those who have defected, apostatized. Um, in verse 16, he says, these are grumblers, fight uh fault finders following after their own lust. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining advantage. So we see all of this godlessness that they're bringing to the church. And then he kind of shifts focus, right? For the rest of the chapter, he goes from warning us and helping us to understand how to spot false teachers and false doctrines and what the results are of their being in the church to then saying, but you, right? In verse 17, but you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you in the last time, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. And then he goes on um, basically now telling us how do, we, how do we deal with false teachers now that we know they're here? How do we deal with them? How do we respond to them? How do we protect ourselves from them, right? Yeah, this is um, this is a good warning, and, and this is a good way to be able to spot them. Because, and as we'll find out, um, a lot of false teachers basically make the church look more like the world. And unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of that uh, today. Even as you're tracking, as as we're tracking the activities this week at the SBC annual meeting, we won't go into that. Um, but when the church starts to look more and more like the world, uh, you know, it's being influenced by the wrong kinds of leaders. Yeah, you know what's interesting is it. it if, if any organization or group ever comes out with the mantra, the world is watching, like, yeah. like the SBC leadership did a couple of years ago, um, it, it, you need to understand that that is the, the wrong heart. You, you've, you've lost the focus there, right? When, when your public statement is whatever we're doing, we have to do because the world is watching, you've missed it as a Christian. Because what we should be saying is do whatever you do for the glory of God. Do what you do because God is watching, right? For, forget about the world in that sense. And what's really interesting is the very next passage in Jude actually speaks to that. It says, and, and, and I didn't intend on that, yes, but it, it just does. happened to be, right? It says, these are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit, right? And, and so we see this stuff creeping in various churches um, and but 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 the thing I think I we could focus on here is by way of application, especially for our culture, is the worldly mindedness, right? I mean, we see division certainly, but there is a sense in which truth um, causes division. Truth divides itself from what's false, rather exposes what's false that it can't unify with. Um, but, of course, he's talking about the teachers here, and some of what we, you would find out, you know, if you do an end-up study here, these would be the guys who kind of come into the church and, you know, they, they kind of get involved in the, the, the back chatter. And, well, I know the pastor said this, but really this, if you think of some of the examples that he actually gave earlier, right, he gave the example of the rebellion of Korah, which was that same thing right? Uh, questioning Moses' authority. And, and he actually said something to the effect of, I, I can't uh, quote it exactly, but basically, you know, Moses, who, who, you're not the only one God speaks to. Do we not all have God's word, you know? Um, and so we see that kind of thing. But worldly mindedness, I would argue, is probably one of the top things that we fight in the church today, right? Um, seeing the church trying to be like the world, trying to appease the world, rather than trying to please God. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. And you can see that even in some of the major issues that are being battled today. I mean, the whole LGBTQ front and, and those who are trying to, uh, you know, the Revoice Conference and those who try to affirm those with um, those kinds of temptations, um, the pro-life movement uh, that has tried to uh, make concessions to the world that there are cases where um, abortion is actually necessary. Um, we see that, uh, I think, just out of the SBC annual meeting, there were some hymns that they were singing where they, were, they actually replaced the word sin with mistakes, mistakes um, yeah. which is one of those cues. It's like, why was that necessary? 
uh, unless you're trying to appease to uh, appease people. And, and, and it's not that Christ died for our mistakes. He died for our sins, yeah. right? A, a mistake you can just correct next time. A sin lasts forever until, unless Christ goes to the cross and, and, uh, and make, makes himself the sacrifice for those sins. So there, there are these just little things along the way that should be raising alarm bells in people's heads. And it's, it's always to make us more appealing to the world. It's the whole seeker sensitive movement. And we had that talk with uh, Andrew Rappaport, uh, I think last week about it. It's the whole seeker sensitive movement um, that has made us um, try to attract more and more of the world. And when we see statements like the world is watching, we forget that Jesus told us in John 15, 18, that if the world hates you, remember that it first hated me. If you were of the world, it would love you because you would be uh, of the world, but you are not of the world. And so it's going to hate you. And so we, we tend to forget those uh, those words. And and uh, the churches that end up becoming more progressive, and, and Nate Pickowicz had a great tweet about this. He said, if you want to see um, what liberalism and progressivism does to a church, just come up to New England and he'll show you 200-year-old churches that are completely empty. Mm. You know, when you try to make yourself relevant to the world, you end up becoming relevant to no one. And in the process, you completely lose sight of the one that you're supposed to be worshiping. Yeah, I heard uh, John MacArthur had some really, really good things to say at the uh, one of the pre-conferences before the SBC annual meeting. But one of the things that, uh, that, that he pointed to was the fact that the apostles never appealed to the world and they turned the world upside down, right? right. Um, and and, and I, I, it almost sounds a bit cliche-ish because we've heard that kind of thing, you know, a lot. Um, but, I mean, really just consider that what was it about the apostles' message that had such an impact? Because it was counter to everything in their culture, right? I mean, if you know anything about Roman history, Roman culture, how, um, I mean, why do you think the apostles write so much about persecution? It wasn't because they weren't experiencing it, and all of the apostles, save one, were executed, right? Uh, were, were persecuted, and that continued. And, and so, we see um, that they had such a huge impact, and clearly it wasn't because they appealed to the culture. Well, what was it that they had? Well, they had God's truth, that they believed fully, that they preached unapologetically, that they proclaimed because as Paul says, it's the gospel, right, that has the power to save. And they right. believed it, right? It wasn't, it wasn't just a saying. They, they believed it. They believed it so much that they gave their lives for it. And here we are, you know, some thousands of years later, and I wonder sometimes if we really believe that the, the, the gospel is the power and the salvation. Sometimes I think we think our cleverness is the power to salvation or our, 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 our being able to appeal to the world in a nice way is the power of salvation or how many people we can get in the pews is the power of salvation, um, right? Because we see this kind of thing, and it's not just in the SBC. So, I mean, this isn't a podcast about the SBC, but if you want to see the largest collection of churches uh, in, in, in the Western world, you would look at the SBC and you see very, um, I mean, just poignant examples of worldliness and godlessness. And I think Tom Askell says it all the time, uh, we've just lost the fear of God right? We're concerned about what man thinks too much. But here's a reality. One day, uh, you and I and each and every one listening to this podcast individually is going to stand before the living God and give an account. And you will not be able, we, I will not be able to point my finger and say, but Stephen Furtick taught me I didn't know it was wrong. But right. Joel Osteen taught me I didn't know it was wrong, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I'm not going to have that excuse, right? And, and so, I think the more we understand whom it is that saved us and to whom we belong, I think it helps with some of these things, right? When I understand that Christ is the one who bought me with the price of his blood, who redeemed me, that I'm adopted and an heir of God, right? Um, and what we do on earth, we represent God, we're not worried about what man thinks, what man feels. And of course, you know, we want to be kind and we want to be gentle and we want to be those things. Uh, but that doesn't mean we ignore 
or turn a blind eye to false teachers or falsehoods. Yeah, and to your point, I mean, speaking the truth is going to bring division. If you were to proclaim a false god, you would not see the same kind of division. And that the reason is because when you proclaim the true God, you have to at the same time proclaim that he is the only God, right? So, there, there is no way that anyone who is being um, being truthful or, or at least uh, consistent or or um, giving a, gave, allowing the word of God to speak for itself, there's no way that someone can hold that God alongside other gods because they, they just can't coexist. And so, it's um, Paul, when he was in Athens and he saw the all the different statues of all the different gods, and then he addressed the one that said to an unknown God. And when he presented to them, they weren't, their response to him was pretty strong. They were mocking him. They, they condemned him. And, and it wasn't simply because he was proclaiming another God, but because he was proclaiming another God who is the only God and is the one that's calling them to repent, which none of the other gods really expect. And so, if you were to proclaim just another false God who can coexist with other gods, you will find all over the world that people will embrace that. They, they will enjoy that. In my uh, the, the homeland of my parents in Thailand, um, very spiritual country, but not a Christian country. So, when I say that, I don't mean that they're saved. Very spiritual in the sense that they they love religions, they they love the idea of God and and something uh, above and beyond us. Um, but but they certainly don't want to hear that there is only one God. So they'll accept Christianity as long as they're not told that Christianity cannot coexist with anything else. Um, otherwise, they'll put them all together and then just try to take a little bit from everything and thinking that they they can all coexist and help contribute to a good life. Yeah, you know, and and those are good points. And I, I thought of something else while you were speaking just now. If you go to 1 Corinthians 5, now this is very interesting because it, I think it flies in the face of what our culture teaches is acceptable and appropriate. Um, it, so, he's talking about sexual morality here. And if you go down to verse 9, it says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Okay, so most people would be fine with that, generally speaking, although... The whole LGBTQ movement, what, what is that? There's a big part of the church that is literally trying to associate with sexually immoral people. But he right. goes on to say something I think very important. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. So basically, he's saying, I'm telling you not to even associate with sexually immoral people, but I'm actually not talking about those in the world, right? B because those are our mission field. And so you've got to be around them. Okay, so he goes on in 11 to then tell us who he actually is talking about. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is yes. guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So, the Apostle Paul is saying that if someone professes to be a brother in Christ and there are these things, not only should we have nothing to do with them, I mean, we break fellowship with them. But we don't even share a meal with them. We don't have them over our home. We don't meet them for coffee out in the public, not even to eat with such one. I mean, this is in stark contrast to what much of, I think, the church would want to do today. Yeah. Yeah. And within the church church, you know, we always welcome unbelievers to sit in and listen to the message. We'd love to see that. Absolutely. Um, and, and they can continue to do that even if they're living a lifestyle of immorality and, and rebellion against God. Uh, but what's worse than an unbeliever who tells you he's an unbeliever is the one who claims to be a Christian but then lives like an unbeliever. And, and that's a danger to the body of Christ. That's a, a pollutant. Uh, that's a negative uh, influence. And then it sends the wrong signal to those who are in Christ that this kind of behavior is okay. So, Jesus Christ. That's why he brought the um, you know, brought the that the laws, uh, the rules and commands of excommunication. Which uh, the the goal of that is obviously to restore a brother, but uh, it may involve putting people out of the church and treating them as a gentile or a tax collector. Which in that context means you treat them as an unbeliever yeah. and you call them to repent and, and you don't simply just fellowship with them like like any other believer, uh, but you do take a stronger stand against them than those who are self-professed unbelievers who may be just visiting a church because we have no problems with someone who claims to be an unbeliever and doesn't pretend otherwise, but, but we have to
to be very, very vigilant in confronting those who claim to be believers, um, but live like the world. And, and that's why we confront those who are Christians. Um, we, we don't necessarily confront those uh, who are unbelievers, not nearly with the same uh, vigor and not in, in as many ways as we would um, someone who claims the name of Christ. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the primary way to confront the unbelievers with the gospel, gospel, right? Right. Yeah. I, I mean, we they are a mission field, and I and I say it that way so that we understand that yes, they're living in sin. We can accept or excuse any of that, but we have to call them to repent, and we do that because we recognize that there's nothing godly in them, and and so we we confront them predominantly by presenting the gospel to them, but for believers. Right? I mean, this is Paul's standard. And admittedly, this is a hard thing to do. It, yeah. You know, and, and I don't personally know, including myself, this isn't something that I would enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something that I ever want to have to do, although I have had to do it. Um, it truth has to mean more to us than um, breaking the commandments of Scripture and joining in sin with others. Right. Right. And, and what's interesting, so he goes on to verse 12, and, and it, I mean, this is, it, I, I think this passage works so well with Jude because it just hits on all the things that modern day Western Christianity doesn't want to do, right? There's nothing nice, as it were, about these things, but this is to protect and guard the church. This is to protect and guard the witness of the church. And so it is actually for the sake of holiness, the sake of righteousness, and for the sake of the witness of Christ. So Paul goes on to say, for what have I do, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Now we're told in other passages that they're already judged, right? So we yeah. understand that. But he goes, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. This is the command of Scripture, right? Right. Yeah, and this is, um, you know, I think about, uh, we were talking about some of the most misinterpreted passages in Scripture when we were talking to Andy Rappaport, and I think you had brought up the judge not lest you be judged uh, passage. And, And we see here, um, our judgment really needs to be within the body of Christ and discerning each other and, and their walk. Um, our judgment of the outsiders, um, we don't judge the outsiders in the sense that, you know, we, we're trying to moralize them or, or to try to improve their behavior or actions, that we, we need to confront them with the, with the gospel to show them that they're a sinner and they need salvation. So it doesn't mean that there's no judgment, no discernment. There is judgment and dis- discernment. Um, Paul wouldn't even be able to call them the things that he calls them without discerning their the attitudes and actions and behaviors. Um, but yeah, th- this is talking about uh, something similar to what Peter would say, that judgment begins at the household of God. Yeah. So we need to make sure that we continually uh, cleanse the, the household of God. We, we purge it from any leaven that might leaven the whole lump. We hold each other accountable. Um, and that's how we show our love to each other, because um, our, our love to each other is not affirming what each person simply wants to do, but it's to help encourage each other to become more and more like Christ. It's the central it's the central part of the Great Commission. When Jesus says, make all disciples, he says, to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And that is a lifelong task within the church, between each other. It's the pastors and teachers are given to the church for the equipping of the saints to, to the, for the work of uh, service, to the building up of the body of Christ. And this is how we do it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, we're not saying that these things are always easy, right? Um, but we have to do them. And, and I right. think, again, the more we love the truth, the more we love Christ as we grow and are sanctified, I think we do find the necessity of these things easier to grasp and the willingness to do them easier. Um, all, although, to be honest, we, I think we do it with great sorrow in our heart, right? I yeah. mean, no one should take joy Absolutely. in these things. Yeah. But what we can't do is largely what the SBC has done. We can't justify it for the sake of a false unity. And, and that's what we see in a lot of denominations, right? Well, some people want to say that they're Christian and they want to still be homosexual. So we need to come up with this category of celibate homosexual Christianity. No, I'm sorry. We can't do that. You, you can either be a homosexual or you can be a Christian, but you can't be both of those things. Mm-hmm. And if you claim to be both of those things, then the command we have from Scripture for the sake of the witness of God and the purification of the church is that actually we don't fellowship with that person 
at all. We, right, we don't even eat with such a person. Um, and we don't do that well. And I think we don't do that well because we don't really have the fear of God in much of the Western church today. Yeah, and I, and I think that plays right into the very next chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Either fornicators, idolaters, adulteresses, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. None of those groups of people will inherit the kingdom of God. That's not a complete list, by the way, um, just a representative yep. list. But verse 11 says, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So, if we once identified with things that God considers sin, once we have been washed uh, by the truth and we are become disciples of Christ, then our primary identity is as disciples of Christ, children of God, we no longer identify with the sins that once identified us. Recognizing that each person has, they may have a different set of temptations that they fight against, but you have to recognize them for what they are. They are sinful temptations that we must wage war against. Yeah. And there's a difference between the person who is tempted by sin and occasionally even falls into sin right. who fights it versus the one who just merely tries to justify it. Right. And that's what we're talking about. So we, we've gotten through this, and I, I think we made a good case for the fact that there are most certainly false teachers, that they come in and they creep in unaware, that we can be deceived. I mean, Paul's admonition there in chapter six, do not be deceived. He says that because there is the possibility and some are deceived, right? Yeah. So I, I think we, we, we can't take the attitude that, oh, well, there's no chance I could be deceived. I, I think. I think then we we don't take the warning seriously. Um, yeah, and I think I think you misunderstand the word deceived if you think you're not deceived. Yeah, right. It, exactly. Right? Yeah, and so we get through this point where we say where maybe everyone is saying, okay, w we get it. They're false teachers. They're dangerous. Uh, we need to learn how to uh, spot them, how to discover them. Uh, but then what, what do we do with them? Well, we started that, right? You go to chapter 20, it says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Here's how you guard yourself from false teaching. Here's how you do it building yourself up on the most holy faith. So let's talk about what does that now mean? Because this is how you keep yourself from being deceived, by building yourself up on the most holy faith. How do we do that? Well, I think of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God, right? And profitable for teaching, correction, reproof, training in righteousness, um, so that the man of God may be adequate or, or complete, uh, equipped for every single good work. So the word of God, we often say it is sufficient. What does that mean? By by being sufficient, that means it contains everything needed for salvation in terms of what we need to understand, as well as all that we need to know for sanctification. And just as Jesus Christ said, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The good news in all this, so that the attacks can be very complex. The, the, the ways that Satan operates can be very subtle, can be very tricky. Um, he disguises himself in ways that he's not easily detectable. Um, but the good news is this, if you devote yourself to feeding on the Word of God and continuing to grow in the Word of God, then you will grow in your understanding of God's will, purpose, and you'll grow in your discernment between good and evil. And, and that is one of the most important ways that you're going to be built up, that you're building yourselves up in the holy faith, understanding what it is that we mean when we say we are followers of Christ, that we are sons of God, that that the that the scriptures have the truth, and, and all that we know to be true about Jesus Christ is why He came, why He went to the cross, uh, where He ascended to, where He is right now and 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 the fact that he's coming back and what happens after that that's all part of building ourselves up in the holy faith and in the process uh, how, what do we do now here and now to witness christ uh, to glorify christ and to become more like christ until he returns yeah amen and amen and i think i and i think really jude gives the answer uh, which you've just explained in great detail gives the answer to what it means by building yourself up in the most holy faith actually at the beginning of his epistle. If you go back to uh, verse three, he, when he starts out saying that, look, I want you to, I, I'm, I'm appealing that you earnestly contend for the faith 
then he goes on to say, which was once for all handed down to the saints. So what's he saying? Contend for the faith by knowing God's truth that was handed down by the apostles, right? Well, that's the Bible for us, right? We have a closed canon. And, And I would just say by way of application, you would devote yourselves to the apostles and in our current day, those pastors who rightly teach what the apostles taught, right? And, and so, if you have the choice between, you know, just pick X, Y, Z, Benny Hinn or Joel Osteen or whoever, right? You have the choice between them and a faithful local pastor. Choose the faithful local pastor, right? Yeah. Why mix in heresy and false doctrine and false teaching? You're setting yourself up to fall, right? I mean, you're setting yourself up for failure. Uh, because you, you, you're you setting yourself up for confusion, right? And so if you're going to devote yourself to building yourself up in the faith, then you, you need to find solid biblical teachers and start with the local context and get plugged in there and stay away from any voice that teaches heresy, um, you know, that's a false teacher that falls into the prosperity gospel or any of these other things, stay far, far away from them. And if you've been doing those things and you've been, I mean, a lot of people in today's world in an instant, you can listen to your own pastor sermon online and, and then you can turn right around. And the next thing that pops up after your church's YouTube channel is Joel Osteen. Don't click on that, right? He's a false teacher. He refuses to preach on sin. I mean, we could talk about why he is, but he is. You can do your own research there. But, you know, instead, go back to your own church's page and listen to the sermon before. Or if you're going to, you know, listen to people in addition to your pastor, which I recommend, right? I mean, even I do that. Find, go to your pastor and say, look, uh, we've got to stop listening to this guy. Um, Who are some other good sources we can go to? Right, and let your pastor give you some of those names. Um, ask your pastor who he pastor who he listens to. Right, I mean, and and there's a bunch right. of them out there. There are plenty of healthy guys: Vody Bauckham, John MacArthur. I mean, there's just Paul Washer. There's so many other good guys out there that there's no need to be mixing in um, what you're taking in with false teaching. Yeah, many, many good teachers out there, and the best ones are the ones who teach what's been handed down by the apostles, as you pointed out. And by the way, when we think about apostles, we're not talking about those who claim to be apostles today. Even as you read through this book of Jude, as you pointed out earlier in the letter, he talks about the faith that's been handed down by the apostles. It reminds me of the fact that Ephesians 2.20 says that the church was built on the foundation mm-hmm. of the prophets and the apostles, with Christ being the cornerstone. Um, the work of the apostles was done in the early church age. And even as you read through Jude, you see that in the beginning of the letter, but you also see that um, later on when he says, uh, beloved, you ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, when he goes on to warn about the false teachers who are coming in. So, you notice even from the words of Jude, he's primarily looking back at what has already been delivered, because by the time Jude writes this letter, much of the New Testament has already been completed. And so, that faith that's handed down by the apostles, we have that in the scriptures. And the best preachers, the best pastors uh, to, to go and listen to are the ones that honor the Word of God and hand it down to you the way it's been handed down in Scripture, because that's exactly the fruit of the apostles that Jesus Christ had commissioned them with, with the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit from John's, John chapters 14, 15, and 16, when he repeats over and over again, I'm going to send you a helper, and this helper will bring to remembrance all that I've taught you. He's going to teach you everything that belongs to me. He's going to convict the world of sin and righteousness. He will testify of me, all those things. Those promises were given to those disciples because those disciples would serve as apostles who would help build the foundation of the church with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. Yeah, amen. And and so we've we've just we've got to do those things. If you take seriously your faith, right, um, then you want to devote yourselves to those who are devoted to teaching what the apostles taught. Uh, it, and it is interesting in passage, right? He says once for all handed down to the saints. Yeah. And so he, you're right. Not he continuously, is, not in the future, not um, again and again or in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, so, and so that's how you guard yourself from, from false teachers, right? It, it matters who you listen to. You will, you will begin to believe that which you take in, 
right? I mean, if we remember the scriptures, the admonition about who we associate with, bad company corrupts good morals. I mean, I think sometimes we don't really understand what that is saying. Bad company corrupts good morals. In other words, you will become like those who you hang around, those who you listen to, those who you associate with. And so, if you're associating by way of listening to regularly false teachers, you're going to be affected by that. Now, we move into the last parts of the passage, and here are actually some interesting parts of the passage, right? So, we, we understand we need to guard ourselves from the dangers of false teachers. We, he's told us now how we do that. Um, and now he moves on to how do we respond to the false teachers themselves, right? W- which I think is very interesting. And, and even this is a grace-filled approach. Um, he, he starts off by saying, have mercy on some who are doubting. Well, mm-hmm. who are the some that are doubting? Well, I, I think these are the people he's describing that are maybe just occasionally listening to these false teachers, and it's causing them to have doubts and questions about otherwise solid doctrine. W- would you agree with that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I haven't studied this letter the way you have. I probably have to dwell on that some more, but I think, I think that is a very reasonable explanation um, that, uh, that it's referring to, to those who are perhaps entertaining to some degree what they're mm-hmm. hearing, um, and, and they're having doubts maybe on, on both sides um, as to, to what is true. And, and the beauty about the scriptures, uh, unlike a cult, if you go to a cult, Cult leaders will tell you to accept everything that is being taught without asking any questions. The beauty about the scriptures, it invites you to ask questions. Absolutely. So, as long as people are willing to say, well, what does the word of God say? They're willing to look into it. You know, that's that's good. You, you want to encourage that because the word of God will stand on its own. The word of God will defend itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll do a better job defending itself than man could ever could ever do. But certainly we want to uh, we want to be walking in Christ and, and to be defenders of the faith and making sure that we speak the truth and we're not stumbling blocks to those who are who are doubting. Yeah, and it's interesting here. He, he actually gives three categories, right? Let me read them all together. He says, and have mercy on some who are doubting. So, this is one group. Save others, snatching them out of fire. So, those who are in the fire is the second group. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. And so, I have three different categories of people. And so, and, and so that's why I say, I think the ones who are doubting are just as we have explained. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. I think uh, when you look at this, that these are people who are caught up in uh, the, these churches, in these, the, no. these are the people who are following, you know, the Stephen Furtick's uh, wholeheartedly. They're in his church. They're tithing to his church. The Joel Osteen followers, they're not entertaining anything else or, or anything else out there, um, but they're kind of sold on, you know, this is my pastor kind of thing. Right. And, and I, and I think what it's saying is there's still opportunity um, in fact, this is exactly, I think, what Justin Peters' ministry seeks to do, it is predominantly to snatch those who have been deceived out of the fire, as it were. And, and the way he does that is by pointing back to the teaching of the apostles, right? And so, there's opportunity there. And then the third category, um, it says, and on some have mercy, but with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now, there's some interesting things in this verse. I, I think this category of people is really the false teachers themselves. Mm. And, and, and the language there, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh, that, the, the word used there is used for a garment soiled um, with, you know, human, human soiling, like a diaper, basically. Yeah. Um, and, and so, it's so vile, so tainted so disgusting that you deal with these as though someone's wearing a a diaper turned inside out soiled right i mean that's the level of caution um and and uh, that we approach these to and and so i would say you know for guys who have access to some of these false teachers this would be the admonition for those um you know i don't i don't have access to joel osteen so this is not where i'm gonna go right? Uh, typically. Uh, but there are those who do have access to those guys. And so, even, and, and again, we, how are all these things done? All of these things are done by pointing people back to truth, not justifying uh, their teaching, 
right? Not justifying what they're believing. And so maybe you have a family or a, a family member or a friend um, who has been listening to false teaching, or maybe even yourself, um, and you're just now discovering, okay, maybe maybe I am listening to a false teacher. Maybe you know my sister, my brother, my aunt, my cousin are listening to a false teacher. What what do I do about it? Well, if it's you, you know, I I would say the first thing is to stop, uh, stop listening to them. Go to your pastor and just say, look. I, I've been, you know, I've I've been listening to this. I've I've even, you know, it's even appealed to my emotions, and I, I feel like I benefited it from it some. And all those things might be your perception and true, but I realize that this is a false teacher, and I I I want to be led by the truth, and I want to be led by the teaching of the apostles. Can you please give me some other people to listen to? I, I yeah. want to. I want to separate myself from this. That would be my recommendation. If it's family members, you know, just what this says, have mercy on some who are doubting. And I think the way we do that is maybe start lovingly filtering, uh, making healthy suggestions to our loved ones, right? Yeah. Um, and pointing out some inconsistencies in what they're hearing and believing um, against the scriptures in a very loving and gentle way. You can do these things without being a jerk. Um, you know, and then, you know, and then the other category for those who maybe you have loved ones who are just full blown, you know, Bethel, Bill Johnson, Redding, California, how how do you deal with them? They're sold out. They believe it. It, You know, maybe you send them a copy of Justin Peters clouds without water. Maybe you send them a copy of John MacArthur's strange fire. Uh, Maybe you send them a link to just some other healthy Bible teachers, um, and when you get chances to talk to them, you go to the scripture and you say, hey, show me that in the Bible. Show me that in the Bible. Where is that in scripture? Let's, let's open the book, right? Um, maybe that's a good way to do that. Invite them to your church. That's a great way to do that. Um, you know, and the third category, you know, I would say if God's given you the opportunity to possibly influence some of these false teachers, um, then if God's given you that, that opportunity, then I think he'll also give you the wisdom in how to deal with that. Uh, you, you know, so anything to add, what do you think about that, brother? What, what yeah, would you I, add for people in looking to deal with these categories in light of what we said? Yeah, I think your advice is spot on. And I, I would just, what I would add is this, is that when we talk about false teachers, we're not talking about anyone that has any kind of disagreement with us, right? Right. So, I mean, even even as you were giving some very good examples of good teachers to follow, you had mentioned John MacArthur. Um, I, I think of the late R.C. Sproul, and we know that, that uh, R.C. Sproul was an amazing man of God, uh, a warrior for the faith, did so much good uh, for for the faith. He and John were beloved brothers. They, they loved each other dearly, and yet they had some significant differences, but the differences were not with the gospel. The differences were not with who Jesus Christ is. The differences uh, were, were not in terms of what it means to be a Christian or the warning about false teachers. You know, the, the differences are, are typically in how God's plan is going to unfold, especially as it relates to the future. Um, some of the prophetic passages, uh, you know, we could have debates about um, infant baptism, for instance. Um, now, infant baptism can be a heresy if someone is saying that that actually saves someone, um, but it also could be just uh, an issue that, uh, that that we recognize between brothers if they see it more as a sign of the covenant of the Old Testament, which I would disagree with. But at the same time, I have a lot of people that believe that I would that I would consider to be fellow brethren of the faith. You know, so a lot of the men that we mentioned, the Paul Washers, Alistair Begg, Sinclair Ferguson, you know, you're going to find that uh, these men don't agree on each and every single thing, but you will find that on the most important aspects of our walk, they are in lockstep agreement. And a lot of those important aspects is not just with the gospel, but it's in terms of the primary ways in which we are to be sanctified, how we are to grow. Even you and I don't agree on every single point of doctrine. Um, and yet um, we've had, um, I don't even know how many podcasts we've had together now. It's probably over 50 um, to, together, I, I would guess. It's all, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. About coming up on on 50 or a little more, maybe. It's yeah. pretty close because we, we started um, at the beginning of um, 2021, yeah. um, I, I think. So, um, yeah, so we, we've had several podcasts and I think people have listened to us, have seen that we 
have covered a wide gamut of, of topics, um, t- talked about a lot of different scriptures. Mm-hmm. And um, if you didn't know any better, you would think that we agree on just about everything. Um, but no, we do have some disagreements, but those disagreements are not worth dividing over. And that's that's part of developing your theology as well, because the more you know the scriptures, the more you recognize what is absolutely crystal clear and, and repeated over and over again and affirmed throughout the, the Bible about who Christ is, uh, what the Word of God represents, um, why Jesus had to come into the world, and all those kinds of things, versus um, some of the other areas where you can see there are there could be multiple possible interpretations, even if we all agree that there can only be one that is correct. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really good point. You know, and I think so we're talking when we're talking about false teachers, we're, and when we're talking about heretics, guys who ultimately, if you understand scripture well, and you hear and understand what they teach about Christ, about the character and person of God, about the character and person of the Holy Spirit, what they believe is something is a different Jesus, a different God, a different Holy right. Spirit, a different way to salvation, right. right? And that's what we're talking about. And sometimes you, you, you it, that's clearer than others. Sometimes, and if you're not sure, then go to your pastor and say, "Look, is it, help me understand why this person is a heretic. Help me understand why this is a person I shouldn't be listening to." Right. That ought to be our posture. And so if you're not sure and you've heard someone's name come up as a false teacher. OK, I mean, look, look, there are guys who accuse John MacArthur as a false teacher. I would not be offended if anyone in my congregation came to me and said, look, I'm, I'm hearing online that John MacArthur is a false teacher. Can can you show me why that's true or why that isn't true? I, in, in fact, that I think demonstrates a very high level of maturity and growth in the person because it, it acknowledges that there's information they don't have. And rather than just making uh, an emotional decision, they're saying, look, I want to find out if this is really true or not. Well, guess what? This is exactly what we've talked about Paul commending the Bereans for, right? Yeah. They received the message with gladness, but then they went and, and double-checked the apostle, right? And, and, and he was happy about that clearly, and, and that was to their credit. And so, if you're not sure, go ask your pastor. Uh, he'll be happy to sit down with you and talk about why or why not um, you should or shouldn't be listening to this person. And, and to your point about um, every issue isn't an issue to, to stay away from someone or to divide on. I mean, it's an incredible point. I think we, we would say it, maybe succinct way would say, you know, um, we have to be unified in essentials, right? Yeah. We, we have, and then you just need to learn what the essentials are. But right. effectively, if you start with the person and work of Christ, the character of God and the person and work of the Holy Spirit, if it touches those things, it's going to either make it uh, biblical or heresy, right? And in always, you know, th- those are the primary issues is how the teaching um, uh, affects the Godhead. And if it diminishes or changes any person in the Trinity um, a, a different than what Scripture tells us, then it, it's heretical, and that person you want to get away from, right? And sometimes it had come up in various ways. But it, so this is, this is the admonition of Jude, and I, I think we need it in our day because Jude says, I'd love to talk to you about the gospel, but there's just something more important I need to talk to you about right now. That would be a shock. To anyone in the SBC, by the way, well, lots of people in the SBC, because all we hear is unify over the gospel, unify over the gospel, unify over the gospel. Well, that's true. However, unifying over the gospel includes guarding what the true gospel is, which means you have to contend for that. And, and that's Jude's point. So rather than an encouraging letter, letter just about what's common in the faith, he writes an encouraging letter, a letter of warning. Um, basically, watch out. There are, you, you know, I, Americans often, even in our camps, I think we forget that we have a very real enemy out there, right? We understand um, Satan seeks to still kill and destroy, but not just him, all of the demonic and sp- demonic spiritual forces. We don't talk about that a lot, I think, in our circles sometimes, uh, because we don't want people to get wrapped up in emotion, but we have to understand that 
our, you know, our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but against what? The principalities and powers of darkness. Mm -hmm. And that battle is fought predominantly in the mind. Yes. Right? And he tells us that. It's pretty clear in that passage. We're, we're fighting against speculations, for instance. We're, we're speculations born and considered in, well, in the mind. And, and so we've got to be biblical. We've got to be trained biblical. And so if you're listening to teachers who are falsely representing Scripture, right, then effectively you're losing the spiritual battle in your mind. And if you do that long enough, right, it, it's going to affect your spirituality. Um, and so... I think it's a great letter. I think it's great for today. It, and and maybe this was a shorter podcast than normal. I don't I don't know. If it is, you guys <laughs> can enjoy it, but I, I don't actually think so. Looking at the clock. It, any last things? I hope this has been helpful for guys. It was good to talk through again for me. Yeah, I would just uh, close off with the last two verses of Jude, this wonderful doxology. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. I hope you guys have been edified by this. I hope you take it seriously and consider it. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.